Hello and welcome to the podcast, Sport and Life. We'll get to the show in just a moment. But first, a word for the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in world-class home relations and customer service. Not just Bang Olufsen's fine equipment, they go far beyond that. To find out more, search for Serene AV online and get in touch with Jason Briggs and his fine team. If you're looking to optimize your immunity, stave off the coughs and colds, we do have an association ongoing with Cytoplan, food-based supplement company that I've taken for 20 plus years under the stewardship of my father, Dr. Mark Draper. If you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, you get 30% off your first purchase, 10% ongoing with a new code, Draper10X. So my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, the numbers one zero and the letter X. So that is a new code. And if you're looking for a new pair of shoes in the new year, remember the association we have with fine British shoemakers, uh, Herring Shoes, been going since the wonderful year of 1966 for football fans. And if you go to herringshoes.co.uk, I love their loafers in particular, you can get 10% off in association with the podcast with the code TED10. So part of my first name, T-E-D, TED, all capital letters and the numbers one zero. Right. Thank you for listening. Onwards and upwards with the pod. Tom White, happy new year. Welcome back to the podcast. We're in the beautiful sky blue of Manchester City. Mike Wedderburn will be very proud. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not wearing red and white or black and white for the next few days because it's um, it's a nervy time because we're recording this on Thursday and Sunderland playing Newcastle in the FA Cup third round on Saturday. Uh, I don't want to tempt fate by wearing red and white and I would obviously not be wearing black and white at this time. And I'm a, a nervous man right now. However, I've had a magnificent Christmas since our last uh, podcast, which was just before, Christmas-related one. And it's been a very happy new year as well. Was it all good for you? It was great, yeah. For the first time in years, and you can empathise with this, I had five consecutive, four or five consecutive days off of just around Christmas. And I went back to work on the 27th, which, A, I'm very grateful for those people who are colleagues who worked on Sky Sports News on Christmas Day. But as you know, having a young kid, having that little stretch of time around it consecutively made a big difference because it's fine popping in and out of work, isn't it, during that time of year. But I think... You appreciate that relaxation, that ability to just chill out and enjoy the time with your family, maybe more so than when you're coming and going. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's same. It's same in every walk of life, really. I mean, I, I know that a lot of um, I know that a lot of businesses shut down over the over the Christmas period, but ours doesn't, and lots of others don't. And when you actually do end up getting a proper Christmas off, like the novelty doesn't wear off, does it? Because you because no. you kind of used to work in, um. For me, I've worked most Christmas days ever since I've been at Sky. Since 2004, I've worked more than I haven't. Um, and on the ones that I, where I don't, like this one, like the novelty doesn't wear off. It's like I used to work every single Saturday. Mm. So every Saturday. And now it's almost two years that I haven't been working Saturdays. I still wake up on a Saturday morning and think, oh, my God, I'm not in work. <laughs> novelty hasn't worn off. I still love it. I can go to, a, I can go to watch Sunderland. I can go to a non-league game if I'm not going to watch Sunderland. I can just have a day with my son. Like, there's all sorts of things that I can do, which I could never, ever do before. It's like, oh, Saturday, no, I can't do that. I'm working. You and I both work Sunday, obviously, Soccer Sunday. We have Saturday off. What's the best then? Is it having Sunday off or Saturday off? You think Saturday well, off is the best? 
Well, it, well, it is for me, but it's because remember that I'm in work five o'clock every Monday morning. So okay. a, a Sunday off now would still limit what I can do. Yeah. Whereas a Saturday off and not being in work and, until like nine o'clock on the Sunday is very different. So, um, so having the Saturdays off is better, but Sundays always be my favorite day of the week. But having Saturdays off, like I say, hasn't it hasn't worn off. And there's there's just so many things you can do on a Saturday, it's, which I never knew. Honestly, <laughs> I never I've always worked Saturdays. I didn't realize all of these options were open. Yeah, it's brilliant. You can go. Yeah, I can go and watch Cheltenham Town as well. I was actually invited to watch them against Portsmouth, which I know is your wife Tash's team this weekend, but I couldn't make it unfortunately. But that's a, that's a big one. And uh, speaking of Tash, someone cooked you a fantastic Christmas dinner, didn't they? I saw that you you sat in the midst of a massive table spread of of food at oh, Christmas. Super. Well, that's Tasha's Tasha's mum. So I, I spent Christmas with, with my wife Tasha, her brother, her mum and dad, and and their dog, because my son was with his mum this Christmas, because we alternate, which is the, obviously the fair way to do it. Um, and Tasha's mum is a massive feeder. <laughs> and, and let me tell you something, I am not complaining. No, it was epic. Yeah, my to be fair, I went to my sister-in-law, so it was my brother-in-law who did the cooking, did a fantastic job. So this is onto the January transfer window. Looking forward to it. You're hosting the transfer shows once again on Sky Sports News, what, nine o'clock and midday, Monday to Wednesday? Yeah, uh, I do Monday to Wednesday, yeah, 9 a.m. for an hour, uh, midday for an hour. Um, but the actual shows are Monday to, to Wednesday, uh, sorry, Monday to Friday, all through the transfer window. And remember, everybody, everyone thinks, everyone's wondering why wouldn't the transfer window close on the 31st of January this year? Because that's what it normally would be. Yeah. Right. Especially with January the 31st being a Wednesday, there's no reason for it to be any other day. However, it's actually the 1st of February because the rest of Europe, and England got together and said, let's have the same deadline all across Europe. We can't control elsewhere, other continents, but around Europe, let's have the same deadline, same time, same date. And they went, right, okay, it's 1st of February. So that's why, if anyone's wondering why is it the 1st of February, there's your explanation. There you go. And I looked actually since the inception of the January transfer window, there's one year it finished at February the 4th. Do you remember what year it was when the, the transfer window was born? The January transfer oh. window. I looked, I looked this up. It's really interesting, actually, because it was before our career started. I think, yeah, just before our career started. Mm. Well, my career start, started in 2004. So yeah. it's before that, is it? Right, okay. It I was. Probably, uh, it I was, probably would have guessed it around 2004, you know. Yeah, Manchester United won the league and it, David Beckham moved to Real Madrid the end of this season. So it was... oh, well, well, that, well, I'll tell you what, when David Beckham moved to Real Madrid, I know this, Luke Littler, darting sensation Luke Littler was born, was just born that year. Oh, I think it's when he went to, I think when he went to America, Luke Littler was born because Luke Littler was born oh, in seven. Oh, was it? Yeah, he went to LA right, Galaxy. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I've got that stat wrong, not for the first time. <laughs> okay, so... So 2003 was the end of the season. So it was actually, this isn't the quiz question, by the way. This is just a, a, a curious one, but it was actually the summer of 2002. Two, so the 2002-2003 season was the first year there was a formal January transfer window. Although I have got one player from the 90s who moved in January who I've included in this, this transfer January signings debate. You know what? That's quite interesting. So 2002-2003 season, um, um, Sunderland got relegated with the then... That season, someone got relegated with the then um, record low points. We have All since right. beat our own record and then Derby beat yeah. our record. Um, but the interesting thing about that is on deadline day, that in the summer, I know I know today is all about January. In the summer, 
we signed Torre Andre Flo and Marcus Stewart. We needed strikers. We got two of them in on deadline day. Marcus Stewart, over his three or four years at Sunderland, did really well. Torre Andre Flo was our club record signing and absolutely flopped, despite scoring on his <laughs> debut against, can you remember? Was it Newcastle or Chelsea? No. It was Manchester United. Manchester United. In a one-all draw at the stadium. I was there. Uh, Roy Keane got sent off because Jason McAteer wound him up. Um, <laughs> They'd have been teammates, and, they? Republic uh, of Ireland teammates as well. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't get on. No. Yeah, they, they didn't get on. That was quite famously didn't get on. Um, and I had Torrey Andre, I had Flo number nine on the back of the uh, home shirt that season. And we went down with what was then a record low points. That was a miserable season. But of course, the dawn of the transfer windows, which has been great for our careers. Yeah, well, it's been huge, hasn't it? And it's it's kind of interesting. What how I don't know how you approach this because actually looking at it, the five most significant or have you took it the best signings of January since it, the window started in two thousand and two, or did I snuck one in from from the mid nineties? But it's what were you looking at? I was looking kind of like what happened to the clubs after their signing of this player in particular, and perhaps obviously the stats of the player when he went there, the legendary status. There's quite a lot that goes into the pot in trying to figure out the best January signing. I've got I've got a real mix actually. Um, one of them I, I I do believe one one of the ones I've got was being given the club's um, best ever signing, and he wasn't even there for very long. What I've noticed in my research is that uh, January transfer window is far more fruitful for clubs trying to avoid relegation as opposed to clubs trying to win the league. Yeah, I think the January signings tend to propel teams out of the relegation zone as opposed to, like like Arsenal last season when they signed Leandro Petrosard and they were point. trying to get Michaela Mudrick before that, they were trying to propel themselves to make sure that they won the league and actually Manchester City won the league. Whereas a lot of clubs, if they get it right, it doesn't mean they have to spend a lot of money, but if they get it right in January, it can save them from relegation. And that's what, what I've found with most of mine. I've also got one in particular who, although this was at the other end of the table, um, and his career has gone downhill since. When he signed for this club, he was absolutely amazing for them, didn't cost very much, and went for mega, mega money. So I'm thinking, well, he's done well, made them huge money, and hasn't gone on to do anything ever since. So that goes down as a great signing for that club. So I've got a bit, a bit of a mix in there, but I'm mainly concentrating on towards the bottom of the table. Yeah, I was looking at Manchester United, actually, the, the club I support, and actually, I think it was only... They were the most frugal of the big, so-called big six in January. But in the last 20 years, they've only spent like 150 million in January, which I know sounds like a lot of money, but relative to the billions that have gone out in the summer, that's actually quite quite a different thing. But I'm going to start in a moment with a Manchester City player, Tom, but you kick us off first. Right. Do you want to do your quiz question? Oh, yeah, let's do the quiz question. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, so this week, James Milner played for Brighton at West Ham and he became the second joint top appearance holder in Premier League history on 632 appearances. Who is he joint with and who is the number one Premier League appearance holder in terms of the all-time stats? So, so you say he's joint second, did you say? Yeah. He's joint second, right. Well, I know the first joint second. That's going to take some thinking, actually. That doesn't spring to mind immediately. So, yeah, good question, right? The, per- yeah. the, pers- the person he's joint second with, I actually thought, was number one, so I was surprised oh, at that, but oh, interesting, interesting. They're all, all interestingly, they're all outfield players, which have surprised me. But then I thought, well, actually, goalkeepers typically don't come of age until older in their career, and often a lot yeah, of the best goalkeepers, yeah, 
Lot of the yeah, best goalkeepers. Yeah. yeah, actually, I've I've got I've got an idea actually. So okay, right, yeah. okay, but we'll, we'll bank that and get yeah. back to it later. And a lot of Premier League goalkeepers, the bet the legends have come from abroad as well. Okay, number five for you, Tom. Are you doing five to one being one being the best or just no? I, would, I actually I haven't got them in any order actually because but but what I will I tell you what I'll do I'll well because my, my the one I'm going to go with first is actually my number one. Yeah, because I, I it was. Um, it, <laughs> 2015. It was amazing, but I, I don't. This is one. And sometimes we kind of because we don't get together beforehand to say who we're going to go with, do we? And sometimes oh. we overlap. I don't think you'll have gone for this one. And it's one that I remember so well, and fans of Birmingham City will never ever forget him. Okay, so we joined in January. Um, oh, I've forgotten the year already. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So it was. It was actually. Oh no, sorry. It was the two. It was. Um. It was. Um. Two thousand three, January. Yeah. And it was at Birmingham City in the Premier League, and they were struggling towards the end of the uh, towards the bottom end of the table. I've, I've just realised I have definitely got the year wrong. I'm sorry about that. That's very very poor of me. Okay. I'm going to come back to the year in a moment. And okay? was this player a veteran? This player was a veteran. This player won the World Cup with France in 1998. Okay, Is now that... Birmingham were struggling, so they yeah. signed quite a few players in that uh, January transfer window, and some of them were quite, um, you know, sensible players. They signed Steve Bruce was manager. They signed Jamie Clapham, who was a left back, knew knew his way around. Stephen Clements, who's gone with Steve Bruce at various clubs as a coach since then. Mm. Matthew Robson, who ended yeah, up being a good defender, per player. They signed another few, a couple of other players who you would not have heard of. But they signed a World Cup winner from 1998, and that man was Christoph Dugarie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they were they were struggling towards the bottom of the table. He came in initially on loan. Okay. Steve Bruce apparently sat down with him. A cup of tea and a biscuit apparently was enough to persuade <laughs> Dugarie to come in. And although his first game at the club, they lost four 0 but it was against Arsenal. In fairness, with Thierry Henry and Dennis Bergkamp playing up front. And he went on this run of scoring five goals in four games. All of those games were victories. And that was enough to get Birmingham well outside of the relegation zone. And they um, and they survived comfortably. He'd been at um, AC Milan, Barcelona, Marseille. Yet here yeah. he was at Birmingham and absolutely tore it up. And without him, Birmingham fans will all say, they think Birmingham would have gone down and he's gone down as one of the greatest ever signings. And that was on loan under Steve Bruce to keep them up. And I think I actually have got the year right. Sorry, it was 2003. Brilliant. Well, you were right. That's a great way to start as well because that's bang on the start really of the uh, January transfer window. That's the first January transfer window. And yeah, that was it. I remember Everton having Kevin Campbell bringing him back from Turkey had a really imp a huge impact, but that five goals in four games is is massive, yeah. I remember Dugari in in two thousand. I think he played in Euro ninety six. Did he Dugari as well potentially in England, if I re recall correctly? Did oh, hold on? Did France qualify? Maybe they did they not? I don't. I don't um, think France qualified. Remember, maybe they there didn't. Only, there was only eight teams. Ah, I do remember him playing for France before then, but that's um, that's, I love that. Okay, I've gone fast forward really more recently for my next for my first player. Signed in January 2022, was loaned back to his club for six months. For uh, This is after a signing of £14 million. The club was in Argentina, River Plate. 
He then came back to Manchester City. He won the World Cup. And then in the past seven months up into the oh. summer, this summer, 2021, well, past summer, 2023, won the treble as well. So he got the World Cup, FA Cup, Champions League and Premier League in the space of seven months. And it is the, the one and only Julian Alvarez. Yeah, good one. That, that completely slipped my mind that he'd signed in the January. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's, 14 million. What a deal that is, you know. I know. That, that's the thing with when you've got clubs like that. I mean, Manchester City will obviously get, I mean, criticised one word for it, I suppose. But people will, will look at them and say, oh, look at the amount of money they spend. But they actually do bring players through their youth academy for a start. Mm. And also, they have obviously got a great scout. I mean, they should have a great scouting network, obviously. But fourteen million pounds for Julian Alvarez. How much do you think he's worth now? Probably about seventy. Yes. Yeah, be a massive, massive upscale. I'm just looking at Flossie, my cat, has just come on the window still behind me. She's <laughs> to get in. She, she can't stay in here because she'll go, she'll come all over the keyboard. Oh, she's gone down now. She, there she is that a black? Is, is that a black cat? She's kind of like yeah, almost black, like a grey. Right, okay. Fluffy. Well, that'll do for yeah. some. That'll do for a bit yeah. of good luck for some of that. We don't want to see any magpies there floating around the place. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are some magpies um, in the back garden actually, Maybe, but she'll try and kill a magpie. So that might actually be ugly if we if we see it. Good. No, that's all right. Um, no, obviously, I'm just joking. It's not really. Um, a lot of fans don't kind of care about the sort of the the sell-on and the if if uh, what I always think is you don't necessarily have to sign a young player. If you sign a player who is worth more than you pay for them, mm. that actually is a success. Yeah. You've. I mean, Julian Alvarez. There, I'd never heard of him when Man City signed him. Um. And fourteen million pounds for a club who could have probably afforded one hundred and fourteen million pounds. Yeah, and looking there, and that, any any club that does that deserve credit for it. Yeah, I think he's a brilliant player. I know Haaland got all the headlines, of course, last year, rightly so, more than a goal a game in the Premier League, more than fifty in total. But Julian Alvarez is kind of as a deputy or playing in midfield, so versatile, so quick and strong, and yeah, fantastic. I think on both feet as well can can finish. So that's that's my number five. Tom, who's your next one? Or your number two? Well, yeah, do I suppose number five or number two, whichever way you look at number four or number two. Yeah, I'm going for someone. I mean, Everton fans have got a chant about him, um, and, and rightly so, because back in January 2009, Seamus Coleman signed from Sligo Rovers. Do you know how much he cost? Was he something like one million, something like that, maybe? £60,000. £60,000. Uh, the, the chant about um, Seamus Coleman, I think the Everton fans have actually said they think he's... That I think they think he was only forty thousand pounds. Maybe he was, but no one's haggling over twenty thousand pounds when it comes to um Seamus Coleman. He's made over four hundred appearances at Everton, scored sixty goals from right back as well, which is you know not not, no, bad, not bad at all for a right back. And so we're looking at at, at um this was last season. So at the end of last season, one hundred and forty six pounds per appearance Everton have paid for him. Wow! Right <laughs> in terms of his fee and a thousand pounds per goal or assist. That is fantastic. He's still going strong as well, isn't he? He's come back from that injury. He's looks looks he's still pretty... there. And if, if you notice, every Everton manager, when he's out injured, they say we need Seamus back. Yeah. So for sixty thousand pounds, when you take it into account the, I mean, like Christoph Dugri would on loan, who then who then went there permanently at Birmingham, but with this Seamus Coleman one, he'll end up leaving Everton for free. So in effect, okay, he's actually they they made a loss on him. But when he's yeah. been in the club a servant for all those years, don't think anyone's going to be worried about that sixty thousand pounds. And I think he he's already a club legend. And once he retires, I don't think he'll ever need to buy a drink on the the blue side of Merseyside ever again. 
No, he succeeded Tony Hibbert, did he? We're probably thinking it right back for Everton. Maybe was that Hibbert who was the? Well, they, they would have been at the club at the same. They would have been yeah. at the club at the same time. Yeah, a big, a different, um, very buccaneering type of player versus uh, Tony Hibbert. Very uh, kind of um, steady in that position. Right, my second one is going to be, and it's interesting you talk about selling at the right time because Lou, uh, Liverpool sold Philippe Coutinho for 150 million pounds to uh, to Barcelona, didn't they? And then epic signings they got. Allison coming in, but also in January 2018, Virgil van Dijk for £75 million went on to win the Champions League in 2019, the league in 2020. He's got a couple of domestic cups as well. And people argue maybe he's not quite his imperial best since that horror injury that he suffered in the in the derby against Everton. But for me, just a absolute, it's a cliche, isn't it? Rolls Royce of a defender, but can read the game, good in the air, great on the ball. And I think it's been fundamental to Liverpool's success under Jurgen Klopp and just a great example of how to spend the money. And it wasn't a cheap amount for a, a defender, but as I say, Liverpool had that great sale at Coutinho, which looks a fantastic deal at the time and actually were able to balance the books remarkably well. So Virgil van Dijk for me, arguably one of the best defenders in Premier League history. Interesting that you said van Dijk there, because I thought you were nicking one from me there when you started with Philip Coutinho. Yeah. He's my next one. Oh, is he? I thought you were stealing him. What yes. signing for Liverpool though, not for Barcelona? Yeah, signing for Liverpool because of what I was saying earlier about the amount of profit. So we'll come to Coutinho in a moment. But as for Van Dijk, you're right. Klopp spent that money so well on Allison and Van Dijk, and Van Dijk still going. Well, he's he's not he's not old yet, and for a centre back, he's he's got three or four more years still. Mm. I would say at the very top, Saudi Arabian club might come in and and say we'll. we'll We'll give you a million pounds a week, and it might not be Liverpool for all that long. In in if that happens, but Van Dijk, I know he had a little bit of a dip by his standards, but he's back to his best now. And Rolls Royce of a defender. If you say that, you think of over the years. You think of Maldini. You think of Cannavaro. You now think of Virgil yeah. Van Dijk, and 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 rightly so. Brilliant signing. I think he. I wonder if a lot. I think a lot of people would have him as their number one ever January signing. Actually. Mm. Fourth, then, did you say? You, yeah, or yeah, kind of. I mean, I guess like a bit like yours. My order maybe necessarily isn't like worst to best or whichever way around. But I just done it. I did a countdown five, four, three, two, one. But I suppose, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, Van Dijk. You're wondering about centre halves because if you think about other great centre halves like Rio Ferdinand and for Manchester United, Gary Pallister, Tony Adams, they all had great partners. But I'm not sure Van Dijk has, which makes it even more impressive. Yeah, and he's had a few I minutes. Mean, I think he's always worked quite well with Joel Matip. Mm. Um, he's got Canate is sometimes alongside him. Um, who did he have when he first signed, actually? Because they tend to play Joe Gomez as a fullback more than a centre back. Mm. Yeah, you're right. The, the fact that I can't think of an obvious one, there, there probably is an obvious one, and, and someone will have a go at us. Lov Lovren? Was it? It can't have been Lovren. Oh, yeah, he, was, he yeah. would have been with Lovren for a while as well. He was a, a good player. But yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. When you would think of central defender partnerships like uh, Campbell and Adams, you think you always think of a kind of a, a, someone alongside mm. them. You're right, Bruce and Pallister, etc. Vidic and Ferdinand. Mm. Yeah, Terry, Terry and Ferdinand for England. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. Who've you got next, got Tom? Terry, Terry and Carvalho as well. Yeah, well, I, well, because you've mentioned him, I'll go with Philippe Coutinho for that exact reason. I was saying. Eight and a half million pounds he cost from Inter Milan. And he wasn't really getting a game in Inter Milan. He was frustrated there. Went to Liverpool and he was magic. Yeah. There was nothing he could do. He could, he could, he, he tended to come off the left a little bit like Hazard used to do, but he was probably best at number 10. Um, 
real magic sort of a player. And then he went for £142 million I've got. So you're right, you know, close enough to 150. Mm. Um, and since then, it's it, it hasn't gone right for him. So Liverpool got him at a very early peak. They got the best out of him, so much so that they made a profit there of, uh, you know, about £135 million profit of a player who was who did really, really well for them as well. Um, and is, 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 there a part, is there a part of you that gets sad about stuff like that? Because obviously you and I have never kicked a professional football, so we can't, you know, f- f- compared to us, it's been a stellar career. But when you looked at the talent of Philippe Coutinho, that ability to jink and beat a man, curl those right foot shots in from distance, you just think he could be an all-time great. And when he went to Barca, ended up going on loan to the Bundesliga, didn't he, Bayern Munich, came back to Aston Villa. It just, I, I can't figure out what, what happened. And there's a part yeah. of me as a fan, you think, oh, he's going to be one of the, the all-time greats and just quite hasn't happened. Yeah, and he's in and he's in Qatar now. I think he maybe just had an early peak, which does happen with players. Eden Hazard, I, I mentioned him, but his his peak was quite early. Michael Owen's peak was early, but yeah. that was down to injury. That was a little bit different, but still, his peak, Rooney. Was, yeah. peak was early. Yeah, well, well, Rooney kept going for a while though, mm. but maybe. Um, but at one stage, Brendan Rodgers had um, it, it was brief, but he had Salah, Mane, Coutinho, and Firmino. As a kind of front, as a front four, Coutinho played it. Coutinho played a bit deeper. You know how um, yeah. in a, in a three you'd have someone in in front of the back four, uh, a box to box midfielder, and a more attacking midfielder, not quite a number ten, but a more attacking midfielder. He had that for a while. Yeah, he nearly won the league, didn't he, in twenty fourteen? I don't know if Coutinho was yeah. there then or whether Coutinho was signed after that. But when uh, it was it was Sturridge and Suarez, wasn't it, scoring the goals in the, the 13, 14 season? Yeah, Coutinho was with there that season, wasn't he? I'm, I'm, he may well have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think yeah. he might. I think he might have signed 2012. Or so he was quite early. He might have been actually earlier than than I was thinking in my head. But yeah, yeah so a... I've, I've I've got Coutinho in there for the for the pure the fact that yes, he did very very well, but the pure profit cannot be ignored. You can't ignore it. I know football fans don't tend to think too much about that, and they don't care about net spend, etc. But when you consider, like you mentioned, what that profit did to Liverpool, Real Madrid, Allison and Van Dijk. It, it makes the signing of Coutinho even more transformative. Yeah, foundation for their success. I suppose it's connecting Brendan Rodgers and, and Klopp as well. Rodgers went close to the title and, and Klopp got over there. He might win the league this season as well. You mentioned this man a moment ago, Tom. This is a January 2006 signing for my next one. He came off the bench in the League Cup final 2006, early in his Manchester United career to replace Wes Brown, late on in the game, but got a winner's medal. He subsequently went on to win five Premier League titles, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2011, and 2013. Left Manchester United in 2014. Also, of course, won the Champions League in 2008. And you mentioned part of a great defensive partnership at centre-half with Rio Ferdinand. It is Nemanja Matic, £7 million. Not a bad deal. Nemanja Vidic. Nemanja Vidic. Vidic. Vidic, Vidic, yeah. So yeah. I've got Vidic. Yeah, I've written Matic, but I meant Vidic. Yeah, what have I done there? Uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he comes from Serbia. Yeah. Murder. He's, uh, <laughs> Matic yeah, was a good I, signing for Chelsea, by the way, in January once. But yeah, that's not yeah, what I meant. That's true. I, I, left, I left Vidic out because I knew I knew you'd be going for him. But he signed at the same time as Patrice Evra as well. Did? Yeah. That was I, was, I, I was actually going to have them as a pair because when they came in, People didn't really know much about those two players. And I don't think even everyone would everyone would trust everything Sir Alex Ferguson did. But I don't think anyone expected them to be that good. Mm. And they also had that longevity as well. Yeah. And they're Manchester United legends for a reason. 
And and at the time, Manchester, everyone knew that Manchester United needed to improve their defence and bring in a couple of younger defenders. And those two were stalwarts that you couldn't get them out of the side because of how good they were. Brilliant signings. And I think Vidic probably just stands up, stands out a little bit above Evra, but a brilliant double signing from Sir Alex Ferguson. And when you list, list everything that, that they've won, they deserved it because they really helped the whole club. It feels like nothing now, does it, in terms of a gap? But if you remember that period for Sir Alex Ferguson, people were questioning whether he could rebuild again because they'd won the title in 2003, but Beckham had gone to Real Madrid. Ronaldo had come in, but people were questioning whether he was you know, a bit of a fancy Dan superficial. But actually, that was the time Vidic coming in, solidifying the defence in 06. And then the 2006-07 season, they got the title back from Chelsea and were absolutely flying. And I think having that foundation was, was pivotal. So, yeah, definitely a foundational signing for, I guess, what Ferguson's... Third great team, you might say, third or fourth great team. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I think um, yes, I was going to have, I, I would have had Vidic and Ever in there as a pair. So there's no argument there. And I, I think um, when you get to your fourth or fifth, I've, I've also left someone else out for you. So I'll. Um, ah, well, you may, else? you may, you may have to include it because I'm not sure I will, but we'll see. You may, you may have. Well, it's when you said mid nineties. So oh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's when you said mid nineties. Yeah, when, uh, yeah. Ali, it was it was pre-transfer window, but it was January. Yes. Okay. I think you were on the same page. Who have you got next? This is, I guess, number four, or or, or however you well, say. Well, with it with it being with it being the time uh, the the time we are derby, or some people say want to say we are time. I mean, the, the region is called time. I'll, I'll explain something to the listeners actually. <laughs> so, time and we are is a region. Okay? okay. So, I even if this game is at Sunderland, I still say time we are derby. But there's a lot of fans who think that if it's at Sunderland, Newcastle and Sunderland fans, by the way, think that if the game at Sunderland, you should call it weird time. Okay. Have you, have you told the producers at work this, but in case they script yeah, it? Yeah, but, but then yeah. it's not. But then there is no definitive answer. Okay. Because Tyne and Weir is a region, but does, does that necessarily always make it the Tyne and Weir derby? I've always said Tyne and Weir derby. No problem if people want to say it's the Weir Tyne derby. A lot of people give me grief if I say Tyne and Weir. So whatever, however you say it, that's what it is this weekend. So I've decided... Um, obviously, I'm going to have a Sunderland player in there, which I'll late, save till last. I am going to put Kieran Trippier in there for Newcastle. Yeah, from um, I, I thought of Trippier. Yeah, January 2022. Um, the fee I've got written down is 12 million. I actually think it went up to 40 when Sunderland. Uh, sorry, when Newcastle stayed. <laughs> I think it went up to 40. But remember that Newcastle have got unlimited money. Yeah. So if they lose money on a player, it's not as bad as any other club in a relegation battle as they were then. It's not so bad for them. Um, and Newcastle were, were always going to spend big money on players and you've got to get the right ones. And so far, their signings have actually been very good. But with Trippier, he was the one because he, he, not, he had all of his experience with... I mean, Tottenham, yes, but Atletico Madrid, he, he'd done so well at Atletico Madrid. All of his England caps, so his experience in that sense, his experience in terms of age as well, um, but he was a leader, and he is a leader. And he's the first name on Newcastle's team sheet. I know he's at a bad time. He's had a little bit of a bad spell at the moment, but he'll come out of that. He'll still be he'll still be first choice right back for Eddie Howe or whoever the Newcastle manager is for quite some time. And he was, of all the signings Newcastle made, and they've made some good ones. That January, they also signed Dan Byrne, who's been, who plays every game as well. He's not the only one that brought Chris Wood didn't work out. Um, but 
Kieran Trippier, I think you've got to give them credit for that one. He was, I think he he will, I think Newcastle fans, when they look back, will say that was one of the most important signings in their Premier League history. Absolutely. Class player, great distribution as well, the way he overlaps passing. I think arguably the best crosser along with De Bruyne since Beckham in terms of that that right side and, and how he just feeds the part. They're almost like cross-come passes, aren't they? The way he just arrows in. And I think on the, you'll know, work on Sky Sports News and the sidebars, we have ticking graphics. He's always up there with most chances created in the Premier League, which is fantastic for a Premier League uh, player also. I suppose like with Trent Alexander-Arnold, there's a similarity there, perhaps. They can both score from outside the box too. Yeah, he can do it from open play, but his set pieces are brilliant as well. Um, it, James Ward-Prowse is the best set piece play, t- taker in the Premier League, but Trippi is not far behind. No, and I know that when there was a clamor, I want I wanted James uh, James Ward Prowse to go to the last World Cup with England. Actually, I thought when we had an extra space because oh, I can't remember who got injured, but um, they brought in Benjamin White. Was it Madison? Who didn't? Oh no, I don't think Madison was. Wait, me, what, he, you know, oh yeah, yeah. Um, in in the actual World Cup squad, I thought get Ward Prowse in there because one, he's an excellent player, but two, his set pieces. But I think Gareth Southgate was comfortable that he doesn't need a set piece taker because he's got Trippier. Well, I also, I, I also think, couldn't you have Rice sitting and then Ward-Prowse with him, potentially, if Calvin Phillips isn't playing? You know, Phillips might go to Juventus this January, which will be interesting. But I always feel that, I think Southgate said he, Ward-Prowse can't play back there, but I could see that see that happening. Yeah, I, I definitely could as well. But yeah, as for, as for Trippier, massive signing for Newcastle and he continues to be a, a brilliant player for them. And I, I know a lot of people were surprised that other clubs, other clubs didn't come in yeah. for him at that time. But I do believe that the transfer fee was significantly more than twelve million, as mm. long as Newcastle stayed up, which they did, and I think that might have put people off. Felt like brave, brave move for Trippier to to go there at that time uh, as well. Okay, my uh, penultimate one. We've mentioned Liverpool under Brendan Rodgers, and I mentioned this player briefly. Is a combination with Daniel Sturridge. I think it was the the reincarnation of SAS, which we had in our youth with Shearer and Sutton, but it was Suarez and Sturridge. At Liverpool that 2013-14 season, Luis Suarez signed from Ajax in 2011 for £22.8 million. Contentious player, not always uh, up to the uh, the nicest things on the pitch, but wonderful dribbler, wonderful finisher, wonderful creator of goals. 69 league goals in 110 appearances for Liverpool before moving on to Barcelona. Just the League Cup in, in 2012 under, I think, Kenny Dalglish when he came back to, to take charge of Liverpool briefly when Roy Hodgson had uh, been let go. But for me, Suarez, one of the, the all-time Premier League greats. And I suppose even 12 years ago, £22.8 million doesn't seem that much, does it? That's com- com- comparable with what Rooney was bought for and stuff for 10 years before that. Well, also the fact that he signed on the same day as uh, Andy Carroll, who was 35, and they mm-hmm. sold Fernando Torres for 50. And if you think of those three, all brilliant strikers, but Suarez, some might argue that Torres was better in his peak than Suarez, but I, I would say that, that probably... Suarez was um was the best one of the three and he was the cheapest. Yeah, you, we couldn't not have we couldn't not have Suarez in it. He's another one. See, I there's a few players that I, I wanted Vidic and Evra, but I knew you were gonna have him. There's another player who you haven't gone for yet, who I know you will, who I would have <laughs> had, who I know you're gonna have. And the other one I was thinking, well, surely he's got to go Van Dyke and Suarez. Yeah. So um, so I'm glad that you've gone then because it would have been so stupid if we left any of those out. <laughs> it would have been, yeah. It's uh, it's a tricky business, this though. And I think Suarez now is still going strong, isn't it? Into Miami with Lionel Messi. I think Messi's a big fan of his, which says it all really in terms of quality. And Busquets is now there as well. So that's it's interesting that strategy of signing those players because you talk about Saudi, but I think 
I would be very interested to see into Miami play and, and Suarez and Messi now. So it's a good coup for for MLS. So Tom, who's your who's your final signing? Is it is My it final one? Three three time January transfer window mover. Yes, it is. But I, I am specifically focusing on on one transfer because you might not. A lot of people don't know the outside of Sunderland. A lot of people don't know the background to this. So I'm talking about Jermaine Defoe. Yeah, obviously, who in January also signed for Tottenham and Portsmouth in January. Am, am I right? He moved in. Yeah, he moved in 2004, 2009. I think 2015 to you in Sunderland, wasn't it? So, yes, that's correct. Yeah. Under Gus Poyet. Now, um, Jermaine Defoe. When I said Christophe Duggery helped Birmingham survive, I think without Jermaine Defoe, Sunderland would not have survived. All right. He also scored. He sat in under Gus Poyet. Gus Poyet was sacked, and Dick Advocat saw out the season and actually played Jermaine Defoe on the left wing, which was a very odd decision, but it did see. Jermaine Defoe score one of the best derby goals in history against Newcastle Stadium United in a 1 0 win under Dick Advocat. Left foot, was it? That left foot one. You can all picture it. Left foot about 30 yards out, volley, Tim Krull, no chance. And it was the only goal of the game. And it was enough to keep Sunderland. Ultimately, those three points kept Sunderland up. Newcastle stayed up on the final day um, when Jonas Gutierrez scored against, uh, he wasn't the only one to score, but he scored against West Ham to keep Newcastle up. But Sunderland stayed up. Um, not just because of that goal, but because of the goal Jermaine Defoe scored. And and everyone knows that after that, he kept Sunderland up on a couple of occasions with his goals throughout the whole season, rather than just signing in the January. But the biggest thing about this was, he didn't actually cost Sunderland a penny. Wow. He was playing out in MLS for Toronto. And Sunderland had a striker called Josie Altador. Yeah. It cost six or seven million pounds. And Sunderland fans... Think highly of him. He worked so hard. And that's all that fans in the Northeast want. They just want you to work hard because of our background, coal mining, shipbuilding. Josie Altador worked so hard, he just could not score. He just is, I mean, I think he scored one league goal and then one in the cup, something like that. Um, and yet we managed to do a straight swap <laughs> because MLS wanted their best American striker back in yeah. MLS. Yeah. MLS did a deal where they say, okay, how about you have Jermaine, we'll take jo- Josie Altador, you take Jermaine Defoe, we'll allocate, we'll allocate Josie Altador to Toronto and you can have Jermaine Defoe. So we got, we, we, we had a player worth, who we'd signed for six or seven million pounds, who was probably worth about, if we were to sell him anywhere else, he probably would have gone out on loan, then gone on a free eventually. We got Jermaine Defoe for him. And that is an incredible piece of business. It was Lee Congerton, who was our um, um, director of football at the time, who's, who's since gone to Leicester, uh, Celtic and then Leicester, now out to Atalanta. He tends to go wherever um, Brendan Rodgers goes. We left Leicester for Atalanta. Brilliant bit of business by him. And he was one of the best players um, in, in my lifetime for Sunderland. So he definitely goes in there and then he can add in his two signings elsewhere in January as well. Yeah, it's sensational. Uh, and he's always in your top five, isn't he? <laughs> oh, he's in my every, top five. He's been, how many categories has he been in? He's been he's like, in top five for everything. He is. He's brilliant. And I, I it's, it's funny thing about Josie Altador because I think for a while we, we forgot that he was American and we were calling him Altadore. Do you remember a few people were calling him Altadore? That was yeah. in the broadcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he was really hard worker. It just didn't work for him. But um, Defoe. Defoe was always going to be in there. And I've had a Newcastle, I've, you know, I've had a, a Newcastle player in my top five. I'll have a, uh, a Sunderland one as well ahead of the derby. And you are actually going to end, I'm certain, with someone who played for both. 
Yeah, Newcastle, Sunderland and Manchester United. Premier League top scorer, Golden Boot winner in 93-94 for Newcastle. But in January 1995, and I suppose actually Newcastle fans might see this as a fantastic signing for them going the other way because Andy Cole signed for Manchester United or Andrew Cole on January the 10th, 95. Keith Gillespie, part of that deal going the other way. I think it was a £7 million deal, which seems relatively small now, but it was big, big money at the at the time. And uh, uh, Shearer went the next year, didn't he, for £15 million to Newcastle. But Andy Cole went on to win the league in 96 and 97, <clears throat> 99, 2000 and 2001, part of the treble winning success in 99, the FA Cup as well in 96. Difficult first few months, although he scored five goals against Ipswich. One of them was a kind of deflected goal off him. So he had that Premier League record. I think it's been equaled, hasn't it? I can't remember someone recently equaled that. Yeah, uh, Defoe scored five against Wigan. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Someone so else that... has scored. Hold on. Someone else has scored five since. Yeah. I thought, was it in one of the 9 nil <laughs> games against Southampton? Oh, I can't remember. Um, hang on. I'm looking it up right now. It wasn't Vardy or someone against for Leicester against Southampton. But... I'll look it up. Yeah. But Andy Cole was a fantastic servant. Obviously, the wonderful partnership with Dwight York as well. A little bit challenging coming in. And then, obviously, Mark Hughes left in summer of 95 to pave way for him to have that partnership at the start with, with Cantona for the 95-96 season when United came back. Cantona came back from suspension in September and United won the uh, FA Cup as well against Liverpool, who wore the cream suits pre-match. But for me, a wonderful signing. Left pretty young, ultimately went on to play for Sunderland, as you say. And I did, what, what do you think about that, Tom? Do you think Newcastle fans would see Keith Gillespie as a, a great January signing? Uh, well, yes, because it, it worked out for them. He was he was brilliant for Newcastle. And whenever everyone talks about that amazing win against um, Barcelona and they say, oh, Tino Asprey, I think Tino Asprey scored a hat-trick. They always remind everyone, hey, wouldn't have done it without Keith Gillespie. Yeah, it's true. Um, Newcastle fans love him and rightly so. And yes, OK, they were devastated to lose Andy Cole. Definitely. And, and rightly so. Um, I think it might have been done over Kevin Keegan's head, but you know the the they they still got Keith Gillespie for pretty much nothing in that deal. I think officially it was one million pounds, but Manchester United probably would have happily paid the seven million pounds regardless for Andy Cole. And um, Gillespie's still very well thought of at, at Newcastle, and he a brilliant, brilliant wing. That is, he's had his troubles in life, but he's. Um, I've got to know him quite well over the years. Actually, he's a really, really good man, a nice man, very funny man, um, and and Newcastle fans quite rightly hold him in high regard for what he did on the pitch. It's funny when you think about Andy Cole, isn't it? I think he was only what would he have been like twenty three when he moved to United. But some people may argue that that. He evolved into a very different type of player at United all around it, didn't he? But he was almost his most ruthless, his most explosive at Newcastle with with Beardsley in a strange sort of way, because that was a a lethal Andy Cole. Yeah, well, I mean, Lineker's favourite partner was Beardsley as well. Mm. It's funny that, isn't it? Um, yeah. But someone who plays just up. But then, but then Andy, but then again, you think of Dwight York had similar, sort of the, well, played the, the only hole. he had to Beardsley is that he dropped off a bit, you know? Yeah. Beardsley would drop off a bit. Sheringham would drop off Shearer. And it worked for them both because the other one wouldn't score as many. Yeah. It, but they'd still score enough. Like Sheringham would score enough. Shearer would score more. Like that's for, for, for England, of course. Um, Andy Cole would score more than Beardsley and more than Dwight York. But the other two would still get a, a lot as well. Same with Lineker and Beardsley. Um, it, makes you think about, it makes you think about strike partnerships again, doesn't it? I do hope they come back in some way. 
nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I've I've looked up the um, most golden Premier League games. There's actually been five players to score five in a single Premier League game. Now we've already said Jermaine Defoe for Tottenham against Wigan. We've said Andy Cole for Manchester United against Ipswich. There's three more. I know Solskjaer got four for United against Forest, so he won't be. No, he's on not there. there. Uh, five. Surely Harry Kane's done it, has he? So, no. So that the Andy Cole was the first one in 1995. Then you've got to go forward to 1999. Mike Lowen? No. Newcastle 8-0 against Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, Alan Shearer? Alan Shearer. Correct. Then it was Jermaine Defoe for Tottenham's Wigan in 10 years later, 2009. Two year, 10 years and two months later. Then only a year and five days later, it happened again. Five players from Manchester United player against Blackburn, 7-1. Is it? It's not Berbatov. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember that one. You know, no. It's... Uh, the, the most recently was most recent one. Sorry, was October 2015, and it was Sergio Aguero for Manchester City against Newcastle. Oh wow! Great, great players. To be fair, in that yeah. in that list, oh, I loved it. So we will get to the uh, the quiz question, Tom. Any thoughts, James Milner, equaling? the record or second joint highest Premier League appearance holder for Brighton against Aston Villa this week, uh, against West Ham, sorry, this week. And actually, when I, when I thought about this, I thought about Milner's evolution as a player over the last 20 years or so, played in lots of different positions. The other two players, the person he's joint second with, underwent maybe not as dramatic a change in position, but did evolve into different positions as he went. And then the player who had the most Premier League appearances was 653, evolved as a player from a defender to a, a fantastic holding midfielder as well. So who have you got joint second, Tom, with? Well, just because of your clue, I'm going Giggs joint second. It is. Yeah, which I was really... I'm always surprised, actually. In my head, it's always Ryan Giggs, but not yeah, so. Yeah, I, I, I thought he was first as well. Um, so I think I think the first... I think the first might be Gary Speed. Similar first name, but he played for Aston Villa, Liverpool, Manchester City, started as a kind of left centre-half or left-back. Became a holding midfielder, played for England. Oh, famously got out outpaced by Mesut wow. Özil in the 2010 World Cup as Germany romped away to victory well, over England. Well, and I now know that it's Gareth Barry. Yeah, I would never have got that. Yeah, amazing, I would isn't not it? Not have got that. That is a brilliant quiz. But you you said that you thought I'd get that easily. No, that's a brilliant quiz question. I didn't no, know I, that. Well, it surprised me actually because in my head it's always gigs, speed, people like that who played their entire career. I mean, I suppose speed actually. Probably played a little bit in the old first. Well, he won the old first division title, didn't he, at Leeds? So maybe he was a little bit older. But you think about the, the longevity. And yeah, is the I mean, Milner was a tricky winger, wasn't he, when he started? And, and now he's basically played pretty much everywhere on the pitch, it feels like. I, I, was, funny enough, I, I was at his first ever goal. Um, um, Sunderland v Leeds, um, that, that season, that first season of the transfer window, actually 2002 to 2003, they beat us at the Stadium of Light. Um, and he scored his first ever goal, and, and then he was actually playing as a forward. Yeah, oh, wow. He seemed it was quick. It wasn't really quick back then as well. To be fair, it was. He actually, well, the thing is, he, he he never he didn't have lightning pace, but he was able to get past a player and get enough space to put a cross in. Yeah, and really a little bit like when we talked about Stuart Ripley, he was like that as well. Yeah, very much so. And that's all, all you need. Really, you don't necessarily have to run away from a player if you've got someone ahead you can cross to or pass to. You just need that little bit of space. And there is that sort of what seems to mean that boring James Milner Twitter account, which but I think he's embraced it, hasn't he? He's quite enjoyed oh, the yeah. side of it. Yeah, that he drink, goes home and does the ironing after the football is the, is the argument. 
celebrating with a Ribena. Hey, it's, it's worked for him as well. Hey, brilliant to talk, Tom. I think we're talking about bringing back Michael Bridge as a bit of um, break in the Premier League action, talking Tottenham's top five, aren't we? We're going to work on a, a big, bold new year as well of, of getting getting people on and uh, talking about health and fitness, but also top fives of, of fans and everything. Yeah, definitely. We'll get. Uh, we'll see if we can get. See if we can get Bridgie on next week. Well, actually, it depends when Tottenham's winter break is. It's staggered, isn't it? But we'll we'll sort that. Yeah, I'll sort that. Yeah, Tottenham play Friday night. I can't remember they're playing in the FA Cup, aren't they? Friday night, so we'll see. It's got FA Cup this weekend, yeah. But um, but next weekend, half the Premier League have a break, and the other half have a break the weekend after. So we'll just check when Tottenham's is. Which we'll yeah. And I always think of Spurs in the FA Cup because when I was a boy, I remember the 91 FA Cup final, looking up and had that old flickery graphic on the BBC saying the team with the most FA Cup wins, Tottenham Hotspur with eight. And then fast forward 33 years and still haven't won it since. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully they're probably due one to be fair to Spurs. Um, I remember that final well, poor, poor Des Walker. Yes, absolutely. And Paul Gascoigne, of course, getting injured in that, although it was pretty savage challenge on the Gary Charles. Foul on Gary Charles, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Famous one. Right, Teddy, great to see you. Good to see you, man. Speak to you soon. Good luck. Mm-hmm.